0: Welcome to American Dissident Voices. I'm Kevin Alfred Strom. Earlier this year, we added George Lincoln Rockwell's In Hoc Signo Vincis, In This Sign Conquer, to our nearly 30 year long series of American Dissident Voices broadcasts. Today, we add powerful excerpts from several of Rockwell's works, as introduced and presented in the case of the first excerpt by Professor Robert S. Griffin in his masterful biography of National Alliance founder William Pierce, The Fame of a Dead Man's Deeds. Rockwell was a great influence on the thinking of Dr. Pierce. In many ways, Rockwell awakened Dr. Pierce to a realization of the great struggle for survival between Europeans and Jews, and to the eternal truths embodied in Adolf Hitler's National Socialism. And it may also be said that William Pierce added significantly, to Hitler's and Rockwell's legacy in his political and philosophical writings, especially his cosmotheist works. A year before his death, a reporter asked George Lincoln Rockwell Do you believe all of this you preach? Rockwell, slowly and in a low voice, replied, This has cost me the most beautiful wife in the world. Seven kids. All my relatives. I was a commander in the Navy, and a half-year away from a pension. Certainly, I believe all of this." Rockwell summarized much of his creed in what he called The Five Laws. The Five Laws, Biological Integrity, Territory, Leadership, Status, and Motherhood. Biological Integrity, said Rockwell, is the absolute total and uncompromising loyalty to one's own racial group, and absolute uncompromising hatred for outsiders who intrude and threaten to mix their genes with those of the females of the group. According to this idea, nature creates breeds of animals— including various species of human beings, and protects the biological purity of these breeds as a means of maintaining and improving them. Nature accomplishes these ends in humans through two powerful instincts, love of one's own breed and hatred for outsiders. These two instincts are equally necessary. Love of one's own is incredibly powerful and good, but it can't and shouldn't stand alone. It needs to be complemented by a deadly hate of that which threatens what is loved. Indeed, hate has its place. The notion that love is good and hate is evil, is just the party line of Jews, liberals, queers, half-wits, and cowards, wrote Rockwell. And then there is the law of territory. To illustrate this concept, Rockwell used the example of tiny tropical fish called sword-tails, who will stake out a section of a tank and ferociously attack anything that intrudes into their space. Rockwell claimed that human beings are like these sword-tails. It is in our nature to stake out territory for ourselves and our people. He said that in human affairs this law takes the form of adherence to the concept of private property and to national identification and loyalty. The law of leadership, according to Rockwell, is leadership of the group being in the hands of the very best. In the animal kingdom, he asserts, even if it were possible, leaders would not be selected by democratic vote. Nature's method is combat, not the ballot, says Rockwell. Nature wouldn't employ a democratic vote, because that is a chancy way of bringing the very best of the group to positions of leadership. Human affairs has demonstrated that in the long run, if not immediately, voting will inevitably result in something other than the best in leadership positions. Leaders chosen in democratic fashion are very likely to be the glibest and the slickest but they are very unlikely to be the wisest and most capable. The law of status is similar to the law of leadership, except that it applies to all positions in the group, and not just the leadership positions. The law of status says that for every individual there is a natural slot in a hierarchical ordering of members of a group. All of the group members compete for their slot or niche in this hierarchy, and then settle into it, and are reasonably content with it. The result of this process, said Rockwell, is that things run peacefully for the group, and in an orderly efficient way. And then lastly, there is the law of motherhood. Rockwell asserted that it is nature's way that females stay out of the affairs of males and that they specialize in producing and rearing the young and creating healthy families. To Rockwell's way of thinking, we violate these five laws at our extreme peril, and that there is one group in particular that is doing its best to persuade us to do just that. The Jews. Rockwell tells us, The Jews have spread the unspeakably destructive idea of universalism, one-worldism, one mob of raceless, stateless, and atomized individuals, as the supreme idea of mankind. Even the conservatives have been suckered into paying lip service to this same unnatural fragmented, super-individualistic Jewish disease of society. We are told by the Jews that the law of biological integrity, love inside, hate outside, is, quote-unquote, racism, the ultimate evil of all time. We are told that if we do not love, yellow men, black men, and especially Jews, as much as our own people, then we are vicious, perverted, and doomed. We are racists. Millions of pitiful white suckers believe that Jewish lie. We are told that the law of territory, private property, is an unnatural greed, and that decent men must wish to share everything and have no desire for their own private property. They call this Marxist socialism, communism, and various other names indicating a concern for society and community, but all of them strike at the heart of the most powerful and only motivation in living creatures, to build, create, and produce. Millions believe these Jew liars. We are told by the Jews that the law of leadership, rule of the best, is dictatorship, and that we must strive for democracy rule by mobs. Millions of white Aryans have been suckered into believing this siren song of democracy, until mobs of human garbage are now terrorizing our whole nation. We are told by the Jews that the law of status— The establishment of the natural order of ability of each person in his right place is class exploitation, and that the natural leaders of a society, those who have been successful, must be smashed and murdered by those who have not. Whole nations full of good white Aryans have been suckered with this vile Jewish method of dividing and conquering our people through class warfare. Finally, we are told by these ever-loving Jews that the specialization of women in child-rearing is a beastly enslavement of our females that women are intended to be judges, locomotive engineers, army officers, and business executives. The result, of course, is the growing destruction of that sacred and beautiful institution of all healthy civilizations, motherhood, and with it, the home and the family. Our entire Western world has fallen for this democratic Jewish swindle, which has made women the most pitiful victims of the Jewish disease. Millions of modern women are hopelessly lost, frustrated, and utterly miserable, even while they are squawking about more rights through loudspeakers, and marching around in hell-raising militant political organizations. Meanwhile, millions of families are without warm, wonderful mothers, and homes are becoming more like luxurious jails than the miracles of love and warmth that were the homes of a century before. Rockwell argues that the Jews themselves adhere to the law of the tribe, at the same time that they push its violation on others. Rockwell writes, The group loyalty of Jews is perhaps the most fantastic in the history of the world. It has propelled them into near mastery of the entire world." not because they are braver, work harder, are more intelligent, or more worthy than the rest of us, but because they observe the basic laws of nature and maintain group loyalty, while all the rest of us have fallen for their rotten, one-world-we-are-all-brothers garbage, which disintegrates our society. The Jews maintain their society with a group loyalty such as history has never before seen, and thus they go from one triumph to another. Rockwell would also write, We believe that Adolf Hitler was the gift of an inscrutable providence to a world on the brink of Jewish-Bolshevik catastrophe, and that only the blazing spirit of this heroic man can give us the strength and inspiration to rise from the depths of persecution and hatred to bring the world a new birth of radiant idealism, realistic peace, international order, and social justice. For all men, I recalled the words of the leader quote, When human hearts break and human souls despair, then from the twilight of the past, the great conquerors of distress and care, of shame and misery, of spiritual slavery and physical compulsion look down upon them and hold out. Their eternal hands to despairing mortals. Woe to the people that is ashamed to grasp them. Slowly, bit by bit, I began to understand. I realized that National Socialism, the iconoclastic worldview of Adolf Hitler, was the doctrine of scientific, racial idealism. Actually, a new religion for our time. No longer was Adolf Hitler only a great mind to me. Now I realized the inscrutable power of the human soul. Now I knew... Why the power of that human soul, for ten thousand years, again and again, has conquered the mightiest aggregates of physical force and tyranny, regardless of odds or possibilities. I had run the full circle from savage and childish animal instinct, the primitive stage of most of humanity, to conceited and sterile intellectualism the state of our convinced Marxists and liberals. And finally, I had, with the help of the great leader, found my way back to the natural understanding of the world, given freely to every dog and worm and ape and man, of which the intellect is only a sort of recent development or trick. I had found my way, to that unconscious understanding of eternal riddles which can only be called wisdom, the same perception of the essence of things which has, in different guises, formed the basis of the teachings of all great leaders in all times. As the emotional storm subsided within me, it left me filled with a holy sense of mission, which is the fundamental weapon and armor of a revolutionary leader. Where before I had wanted to fight the forces of tyranny and regression, now I had to fight them. But even more, I felt within me the power to prevail, strength beyond my own strength the ability to do the right thing, even when I was personally overwhelmed by events. And that strength has not yet failed me. Nor will it fail. It is the power beyond the atom, the force called religious by the non-intellectual, psychological self-hypnosis by the brains of today, and the unknowable. By those who have learned true wisdom. I knew with calm certainty exactly what to do. And I knew in a hard-to-explain sense what was ahead. It was something like looking at a road from the air after seeing only the curve ahead from the ground. The world was obviously building up to an unheard-of, unprecedented clash between the dark forces of massed ignorance, greed, envy, hate, and stupidity, mustered and led by the scheming Jew, and the perishing forces of nature's elite, the white man. The Jew, with his Marxist democratic idea of the supremacy of mere numbers threatened to overwhelm the white men of the world, regardless of boundaries or political affiliations, by the sheer mass of the teeming colored and inferior masses, which outnumbered the white builders of civilization by more than seven to one. Adolf Hitler, had shown the way to survival. It would be my task on this earth to carry his ideas and his laboratory example to total worldwide victory. I knew that I would not live to see the victory which I would make possible, but I would not die before I had made that victory certain.